0: To the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Caroline Gonzalez. I'll be the sole host of our show today as John DeShazer joins the team out there in Seattle as they prepare to take on the Seattle Seahawks next Sunday. I will be speaking to NFL Network's Omar Ruiz uh, later in the show today as he breaks down last night's Saints versus Rams game. We'll talk about what they went through, we'll break down the game, and we'll also talk about the future for the Saints. Again, we'll also be talking to John DeShazer out there in in Seattle he'll break down a little bit of the game and what he's hearing uh from a team perspective will also go inside the locker room as I sat down with AJ Klein and Demario Davis last week in the locker room to get a little insight on their personal lives that'll be on today's New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek let's go ahead and get into our interview with NFL Network's Omar Ruiz Omar, you were fortunate enough to uh, spend last night's game in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. I hear that it was hotter than most games happening at the Coliseum. How was it for you?
1: Well, I felt like I was still in New Orleans. I was <laughs> been there on Monday. This was uh, the Texans' Monday night opener, and, and as hot and humid as, as you know New Orleans can be, it felt very similar in Los Angeles. Um, an unusually muggy day. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that took its toll throughout the course of the game. We did see a lot of bodies go down and and a lot of injuries happen. Um, That tends to happen early in the year as teams are still working themselves into game shape. But it, but it did certainly feel a lot hotter than it normally does inside the Coliseum, and, and we've seen a lot of bright and sunny days there.
0: You kind of mentioned, you know, in New Orleans, the the Saints practiced outside for all of training camp, obviously. But do you think the field had any impact on how many people went down yesterday? It looked like it was a little bit, uh, kind of, um, rusty of a field. Like the, it was just grass, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a grass field. Okay. Uh, they do a pretty good job. This is a, the, the third year now, or actually fourth year now, being in the Coliseum, having the turnaround from USC games. And USC was on the road um, on Saturday, so they had about a week uh, in change to, to turn it over from the last time uh, USC had played a home game there. So um, I think the the miss conception on the field is that sometimes it looks weird because it's painted with the Pac-12 and the NFL logo over it, and the USC markings are painted in green, and then they're painted over in blue for the Rams, so it kind of looks funny, but I think from a player's perspective... I think it held up okay.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we did see a lot of injuries for both teams yesterday. Uh, Namely, Drew Brees went out in the first quarter after, you know, Aaron Donald's hand came down on his thumb and he was out for the remainder of the game. From your perspective there on the sideline, what did you see from the Saints sideline and obviously the reaction from everyone?
1: Well, yeah, it wasn't very obvious, you know, on the actual play. Obviously, once he went to the bench and, mm-hmm. and you could see him kind of working his hand and and, and that famous ima- image that Fox captured where he couldn't even grip the football right obviously scary situation because you think about um, the prospects of the season and and the optimism that I think the Saints um, had going into the year and and I think are still applicable um, for you know Super Bowl aspirations when you think of Drew Brees not being able to grip the ball, so let's say you know, it heals. You know, in a couple of weeks, and he's able to grip the ball. And now you got to throw the football. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're first seeing that um, unfold in the few seconds after the injury, it's pretty scary stuff. And especially, you know, as, as great a player as Drew Brees has been, and as durable as he's been throughout his career, whenever you see a player like that get injured, and and specifically um, as it relates to how he holds the football a quarterback, it was it was pretty um, uh, you know scary to say the least.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll find out more on that injury hopefully later today or later on in the week, but Omar, if Teddy Bridgewater does have to take over for the Saints, what is next for this Saints team?
1: Well, I think they they brought back Teddy for a reason. He was offered a starting position with the Dolphins in their rebuilding mode, and and they offered him more money to to come back to to New Orleans and, and make him the bona fide backup to Drew Brees, and so obviously they believe in Teddy and and if you remember, Teddy Bridgewater was former first round pick of the Vikings and and took that team to prominence before he got hurt, unfortunately, and and never really seemed to get back on track the way he was pre-knee injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is a team that rallies around Teddy. He's been a presence in the locker room. You guys remember last year um, and all the ce- celebratory post-game dance sessions they've had in the locker room. So it's a team that believes in Teddy. Uh, Teddy is a capable player. and. I look back to the 2015 season, the last time Drew Brees missed a game. Luke McCown steps in. I think he goes 31 for 38, 300 yards. So I think when you talk about Sean Payton and the ability he has to coach quarterbacks, getting Teddy ready, um, if it's one game, if it's two games, if it's three games, but getting Teddy and his own game plan for a week's preparation, I think Teddy will be just fine. And I think the Saints ultimately is. If the if the Drew Brees news is is bad, if if it's if it's optimistic, who knows? But I think their their season aspirations, like we talked about, and the Super Bowl possibilities in February, can still be attained with Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback. In the foreseeable future.
0: I think that's a good point and I think it's something that people quickly forget about is that all week Drew Brees and for pretty much all of the preseason Drew Brees was kind of doing things with the ones and he's the the game plan is shaped around him but now uh, or if the Saints have to have a game plan around Teddy Bridgewater as you said Sean Payton is great with quarterbacks and he is great with the offense and they're going to have plenty of time to to create an offense around Teddy Bridgewater.
1: Yeah, that's a great point because Sean Payton, obviously the system, and Drew Brees, they've created it together, and it's been very successful, obviously. But Drew Brees specifically has things he likes, things he doesn't like, and I'm sure Teddy Bridgewater as a Mm -hmm. quarterback and a veteran in this league now has things that he doesn't like and things that he likes better. And now that they have a chance to curtail that game plan for those strengths and perhaps weaknesses around Teddy's game, I think that's something that you can be optimistic about if you're a Saints fan. Um, knowing Teddy's in charge. And, and obviously, Teddy Bridgewater is not Drew Brees. Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, future Hall of Famer, and all those credentials. But Teddy Bridgewater, I think, can win football games in the NFL, and now it's up to Sean Payton and the rest of the team. And that, and that roster is so deep, they should be able to withstand at least for a few weeks anyway, if if that's what it turns out to be. Uh, you know Teddy bridgewater at quarterback and, and still be able to be competitive and, and win some games
0: yeah I think you can certainly have a worse quarterback room in the NFL at this point um, it's easy to get gloom and doom about the Saints but after falling to the the Rams last night 27 to 9 let's talk about some of the positives Omar what did you see that you liked out of this Saints team last night
1: well I thought the defense in the first half played exceptionally well it seemed like they were um, back up to their high level. Uh, selves, um, so Cam Jordan coming off the edge, and and you know we saw the the strip sack that that wasn't returned for a touchdown, <laughs> and that controversial call get overturned. But that was uh, that was fun. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, we could talk about that one. But you know it was a relentless defense that was playing well, and did not hang their heads when Drew Brees got hurt. Now I think with Drew Brees getting hurt, that call overturned and breaking some of the momentum. It's hard to not let that kind of sink in in totality. And, and who knows if their momentum might have been hurt in the second half. But at least in that first half, I thought the defense played well. They were flying around. They wanted to, to have a better performance than they did against the Texans. And to go into the college team and the play they the play they, they did in the first half, I thought that was uh, exceptional.
0: I agree. I think Cam Jordan continues to lead this Saints defense. Uh, Omar, from an offensive perspective, is there anyone that you would like to see stand out a little bit more for this Saints offense going into the week three?
1: Well, yeah, I I thought Jared Cook uh, played well. I think when when Teddy Bridgewater came in the game, he used him as a security blanket, and I like to see that, uh, especially down in the red zone, More Obviously, he's a huge target. Um, They brought him in to add a dynamic element to the tight end position in this offense, and I think he can still continue to be that with, obviously, Michael Thomas getting all the attention. Alvin Kamara will continue to be the focal points for defenses if they can get um, big playability from Cook. That'll certainly help Teddy and certainly help the offense uh, in totality.
0: What about on the defensive side? Obviously, as we mentioned, Cam Jordan just continues to lead and produce for the Saints defense. But is there anyone that you've seen, even carrying over from last year, that you would like to see stand out a little bit more for the Saints D?
1: I think we can maybe get a little more playmaking ability from the backside of the defense. We know how talented you know Lattimore and Bell and and PJR and the rest of that secondary. But at this point, with the pass rush that that Cam Jordan is getting and Trey Hendrickson and and the rest of the guys when that seems to be the, the, I think the pass rush depth was a question going into this season and it seems to be getting resounding yes to the answers that they have it. And they're able to in waves get after the quarterback. So to get that playmaking ability on the back end and come up with some turnovers, I think will be key for that defense to, you know, get some momentum and and to get some game changing plays uh, in there to help this offense. Because, um, that that big strike, big play capability that Breeze has when he's that quarterback may not be there um, here, you know, however long this, this injury may, may turn out to be. So to get that momentum uh, help from the
0: defense would be certainly key for the Saints team. Well, Omar, I won't keep you too much longer. I'll ask you our final question, which is our geek question. Uh, going into this Sunday matchup against the Seattle Seahawks, if there's one thing that you think the Saints need to focus on going into this Sunday, what do you think that one thing needs to be?
1: I think they'll need to run the football. Uh, I, I think you know, Kamara was limited to about 45 yards against the Rams. It'll be an equally hostile environment, if not even more so, up at CenturyLink Field, one of the more inhospitable places to play in the NFL. is loud and as crazy as those fans are, not unlike the Superdome. So I think to be able to control the pace and control the football and the, and the flow of the game, they're going to have to run the ball uh, between the trenches and, and really you know, try to hold the ball as much as possible because uh, the Seahawks will be coming in with a lot of confidence, obviously, having just won at Pittsburgh. And and, you know, they're already a confident team coming off a playoff appearance last year. So um, if, if they can, the Saints can dictate what they want to do offensively through the run game, I think that'll be critical to their success.
0: Well, we'll have to see. Omar, what's next for you? What's your next stop on NFL game day?
1: Well, I'll get my assignment, you know, later today. I'll be in studio this week uh, for some uh, news updates and, and news shifts. We'll see what kind of breaking news we have. But, uh, but it's another big big week three and you know every week caroline we we keep saying a you know, week two week three week four before you know it, it's going to be the end of the season but yeah. but these critical games early in the year are the ones that that you kind of look back on later in the year when you're talking about playoffs and home field advantage and and position and jockeying for all those that that turn out to be critical so yes it's, it may only be week three but you know every week obviously is important in the NFL.
0: of course well thanks omar so much for joining us on today's show we really appreciate it
1: Thanks, Caroline. Thanks
0: for having me. You just heard from NFL Network's Omar Ruiz out there in Los Angeles. Now we'll head over to Seattle and hear from our own John DeShazer. John, obviously the headline story coming out of last night's game was the injury to Drew Brees' thumb. What are you guys hearing over there in Seattle?
2: Well, I mean, we're not hearing much of anything right now. I mean, you see what what the reports say and those kinds of things, but there's been no official word released by the team. So they're really, from that standpoint, in the whole lot for us to to report, mm-hmm. we just know that the thumb injury obviously uh, affected him. Uh, he couldn't go back in the game. Uh, he was out. Teddy Bridgewater came in and finished up for him. And and um, all we know now going forward is it looks like Teddy Bridgewater might have to continue in that role. He or and or Taysom Hill, but you know again, there's nothing solidified right now. So you know everything's a little bit of speculation. I guess we'll find a little bit more as the day goes along.
0: What did you think of Teddy Bridgewater's performance last night? Obviously, Teddy Bridgewater turned down a starting role with the Miami Dolphins. In retrospect, that was probably a good idea after seeing the Dolphins this year, but uh, turned down a starting role with the Dolphins to come back to the New Orleans Saints and kind of serve as a backup, but uh, the Saints wanted him back. It was a mutual agreement between the two. Uh, What did you think out of his performance last night, and did you think that uh, he kind of lived up to
2: why the Saints brought him back? Yeah, I thought he was fine. I mean, 17 to 30, 165 yards. Uh, he was sacked a couple of times, but you know, considering the circumstances in which he was thrown, um, I don't think uh, Sean Payton said they didn't have to change the offense a whole lot. And, but it's a difference when a guy is in there with the number ones practicing all week long mm-hmm. and getting that opportunity to get those reps and hopefully get that cohesion. But you know, I think all things considered, I thought he, I thought he handled himself well. Um, If anybody watched the game, you know, yeah, he was sacked twice, but he was under a lot of pressure. The Rams can do that to you. And I thought, um, I thought certainly that the Saints, uh, and Sean Payton mentioned, you know, he didn't get a lot of help around him. Uh, There were some drop passes, Uh, there were some blown assignments in terms of of protection. So, you know, everything's got to be cohesive, whether it's Drew Brees or Teddy Bridgewater or Taysom Hill or John DeShazer or whoever's taking (laughs) snaps, you know, everybody needs a little bit of help. Uh, from their teammates. That's why it's an 11-on-11 game. It only takes one guy to blow his assignment to to bust up a play. So, you know, hopefully uh, they'll get a little bit better uh, cohesion-wise. I know a lot of people people were saying, you know, hey, Taysom Hill needed to play from quarterback. Well, the Saints lost receiver Keith Kirkwood in pregame Mm -hmm. uh, to an injury. Um, They lost during the game Traquan Smith. So Taysom Hill had to play a lot of receivers down the stretch, unfortunately. And uh, so that probably took him out of the mix uh, as a as a potential uh, at quarterback. But again, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater was, was all that bad to be honest with you. He completed 17 out of 30. Uh, Jared Goff, the starter for for the Rams, completed 19 out of 28. So I don't think it was an accuracy uh, accuracy issue, especially when you factor in uh, the passes that were catchable uh, that weren't come up with cleanly for for, for Bridgewater. Um, I think the Saints weren't able to get. You know, a lot of separation at receiver. I don't think they were able to get deep. And, then uh, that you know, they're going to have to be able to do some things uh, better, obviously, against like Seattle. When you lose 27-9, to there's a lot of things you got to be able to do better. But, you know, hopefully the week of preparation will, will be beneficial from that standpoint.
0: So, obviously, looking at Twitter, uh, you know, hearing people coming into the office today, you heard a lot of people, you know, wherever they were watching the game last night. So, imagine, John, that you're sitting at a bar last night and you're watching the game. And you have fans all around you that are kind of complaining about Teddy Bridgewater and saying, oh, why don't, you know, as you said, put Taysom Hill in. Uh, Obviously, we're going from Drew Brees, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, to Teddy Bridgewater, who was a Pro Bowl selection at one point, started for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, you could do far worse as a backup quarterback. But if you were sitting with those people, what would you tell them uh, as Teddy Bridgewater now seems like he's going to have to take over for a little bit at quarterback?
2: Well, I'm giving two schools of thought. One, uh, the coaches see these players a lot more, a lot, lot more than the person who's sitting at the wing spot uh, drinking a beer. So (laughs) they know or have a better idea of who can do what by that process. Um, There's a reason the team practices all week. Um, There's a reason the team goes through training camp and mini camp and OTAs. Uh, The coaches spend a lot more time with players than we do. Even we do who work for the organization, for the website and for the digital media team. <laughs> so they have a better understanding of who can do what and who can be effective. And so, you know, that's, that's one school of thought. The second school of thought is that uh, to, to play a person consciously who's not as good at his backup to, to blatantly do that basically means I would rather lose than win. What coach wants to do that? Hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I I understand, you know, when people, you know, the backup quarterback for most teams has always been the most popular player on the team. There have been times people have been moaning and groaning about Drew Brees uh, throughout the year. So if it happens to Drew Brees, it's certainly going to happen to Teddy Bridgewater. But to suggest that a coach or coaching staff would say, you know what, we're going to forego winning. We're going to lessen our chances just because we like this guy better than the other guy. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it all has always been ridiculous. So you know, I would probably tell them that one: these coaches know a whole lot more about the players on the field than we do. And two, uh, to basically accuse a coach or coaching staff of of purposely putting his team in less of a position to win is ridiculous. Uh, all these guys, all the coaches, get judged on winning. That's how you get your contracts. That's how you get your contract extensions. Uh, that's how you make it year to year that's how you don't get fired so uh to to have that thought process i understand the frustration i understand you know everybody likes the flavor of the month and i understand everybody's got their opinion but to me you know i've always you know maintained that it was pretty ridiculous to say that because you're basically saying the guy doesn't care enough about his job to put his team in the best position to win so you know i I, you know those schools of thought you know i understand again i understand why people say them they don't really fit well with me because, you know, we don't know the entire process. And so to say those things to me comes from an uninformed stand.
0: Absolutely. I'd have to agree with you. Uh, As far as Michael Thomas, uh, you know, you you heard Traquan Smith earlier went out of the game, but Jared Cook, Michael Thomas, those offensive weapons that the Saints have, Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, uh, how long do you think um, it's going to take for that, chemistry to develop and what did you think of last night's performance from them because I can't remember JD the last time that Michael Thomas had under 100 receiving yards and he had I I believe what 96 last night just under 100 but I mean it's been a while but what did you think of their performance last night namely uh, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas? Well
2: I mean I thought um, the Rams put together a defense where they were saying basically, we're going to see if we can take away these two guys, and I thought they did a very, very good job of it. Kamara, mm-hmm. thirteen carries, forty-five yards, and you know, only caught a, a pass for fifteen yards. And that's generally not Alan Kamara; usually, a lot more involved in the passing game. Michael Thomas, ten catches, eighty-nine yards. Eighty-nine yards. <laughs> and again, um, you know, he's usually uh, more productive in terms of yards. But you know, they've got to have a little bit of help. On it. Jared, Jared Cook did not have his best best game right. uh, by far. And So, you know, he's going to have to step up some. Ted Ginn Jr. is going to have to help out some. Traquan Smith, who left that game with an injury, and I want to say that Coach Payton said he got an x-ray on his ankle. If he's injured and Keith Kirkwood obviously went out, then Austin Carr is going to have to play it. And they're probably going to have to bring up somebody, whether it be Emmanuel Butler or somebody else. They're going to have to find some help at receiver if those two injured guys are unable to go. So, you know, you got to get more production. It's basically... A situation where teams are gonna say, "Okay, we believe we can take away that run from the Saints, uh, if Drew Brees in there. We believe we can take away that run, and we believe we can force them to throw it. And we want to see if Teddy Bridgewater, who hadn't started, you know, in the NFL regularly for three years or so, wants to see if he if he's got it, if he can beat us. Uh, and and that's probably what's gonna happen. Um, I didn't see the Rams." Throw a ton of blitzing at the Saints yesterday because one, they were getting a lot of pressure uh, with the front four, mm-hmm. and, and two, it allows you to sit back in coverage a little bit because they had a lead and they were probably thinking, okay, we can we can give up a few yards, maybe a play or two, but we won't keep won't let them get to the end zone, force them to kick field goals. So it became a very difficult process. Uh, it became a very very compressed field, so to speak, uh, because they were able to do that. So. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to have to beat some teams with his arm. Uh, he And that means Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and that means Kagan Jr., and that means Jarrett Cook, and that means whoever else is playing that receiver, whether it be Deontay Harris, hopefully maybe, maybe he can help out a little bit, or Austin Carr, as I just mentioned, or some other guys. But you know, there's going to be, have to be some help there. And the offensive line is going to have to be better than they were on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by all accounts, and their own admissions, They did not play a a good game. After that very, very good game in the opener against Houston, I didn't play well at all, I thought, against the Rams. And so, you know, it's going to have to be a collective effort. It can't just be Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater can have the strongest arm in the world. He can be as elusive as he wants to be. He can have as great a vision and reading as as he can possibly have. But it's a collective unit. And everybody's got to do their job.
0: J.D., you talk about the Saints' offensive line, and Sean Payton said in the press conference last night that they just got whipped up front, and a position group that has kind of been constant for the Saints was just looked like a different offensive line last night. But the defense for the Saints, it seemed like they were just out of reach of the Rams multiple times last night. It seems like they just couldn't come up with a tackle.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's gonna you know it's a game of inches. Um, we saw in the opening, Deshaun Watson reported that for the Texans. I got off a lot of passes where you know it was a split second before he took a big hit, and the Rams were able to do so also. Um, Cam Jordan just does what he does. Uh, he he can make a living in the back in backfield. Um, they're in the right tackle or left tackle in the NFL that I would take over Cam Jordan over the course of the game. He's relentless. Uh, he's going to apply pressure. Um, Marcus Davenport, we saw him apply some pressure yesterday. We saw uh, Trey Hendrickson with the sack strip. Uh, and so both, you know, they there was there was pressure there, and, and the Saints defense really for the better part of the game held up pretty well. Um, you know, they they forced uh, you know over three in the red zone in the first half, a couple of field goals, and that was about as much as you can ask for considering they weren't getting a whole lot of help from the offense. I thought we saw a little bit of desperation from that defense as the game progressed on that long catch and run from Cooper Cup that 66 yarder. Uh, there was a lot of reaching and trying to strip the ball out, as opposed to just getting them on the ground and being done with the play. And saying, "Okay, well, there's an 18-yard gain. We'll live with that." And I think they, you know, felt a little pressure to try to create a little bit more instead of forcing the Rams to chip their way down. And and so from that standpoint, they gave up that big play. But you know, I thought they held up pretty well. And then it got away from them a little bit at the end. But by then, it looked just you know like the Saints weren't going to be able to get much going offensively. And so the defense was trying to make something happen. And that's, that's the situation you don't want to see the team get into. Because when you start getting a little bit, you're having to do a little bit more to try to hopefully make up for what you're lacking offensively. I think Cam Jordan was basically saying, hey, nine points, you know, in this situation, it has got to be enough to win the game defensively. When in the NFL, it's tough to win a game by scoring nine points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're going to have to get a little bit more out of that offense. And, again, with a week to look at it and a week to – team around uh, everybody the part that you have hopefully they can be more productive in Seattle
0: JD are you concerned at all about the Saints secondary I mean they didn't give up a ton of long plays last night I mean at the beginning of the game they gave up that 57 yards uh, at the very beginning to Brandon Cooks but uh, they they held up pretty well last night but are you concerned at all about the Saints secondary and Marshawn Lattimore PJ Williams Eli Apple
2: Well, I do want to see those guys, you know, get their hands on some balls and maybe, you know, get a turnover from that standpoint and get it out of the air. Um, I do want to see them, you know, be a little bit more prolific in that area. Uh, Coverage-wise, the way the NFL is now, it's really tough to stop, quote unquote, a receiver. Mm -hmm. Um, It just is. Uh, You can't be as physical as the old days. You know, you always hear uh, older players lament how the old NFL was, and it's true. You, You can't. You know, you can't defend the way you used to. But under the current set of circumstances, you got to be able to defend hopefully a little bit better than the Saints had these first couple of games. And not, not saying that, you know, they've been awful, but you want to see them, you know, force a little bit more of the action. We saw Marcus Williams with the interception in the season opener. You want to see them be able to help out a little bit more in terms of forcing turnovers. And some of those situations, like, think a lot of third and 16 conversion yesterday. That, that can't happen. That can't. Happen. I don't care who's in your secondary. Uh, your third and sixteen are, are you know are, are rare breeds, rare conversions in the NFL. Those are the ones. Those down and distance situations. You know you always hear Sean Payton talk about situational football. But that's what he's talking about. Third and eight, you got to get off the field. Third and ten, you got to get off the field. Third and sixteen, you absolutely have to get off the field. not something that has to do with pass rush because pass rush and coverage go hand in hand. If the quarterback's got you know, four or five seconds to sit back there, uh, DB can only cover so long. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Marshawn Lattimore. I don't care who it is. You can only cover for so long. And so there's got to be some pressure uh, from the front seven, from the de- defensive line to get back there and do their part of the equation. So it goes hand in hand. Yeah, you might see some, some not great coverage on that back end, but a lot of times it has to do with, uh, the lack of a pass rush on the front end. All
0: right, J.D., well, thanks for breaking it down for us. Uh, I know you're out there in Seattle. What is what is there to do in Seattle? Is there anything – I've never been out there. Is there anything fun to do out there?
2: Uh, I'm sure there is. We just got in last night, and, you know, we're all kind of bleary-eyed. I don't know if anybody's really awake now. It's, you know, in the morning, early morning here, so you know, I don't even know if anything is uh, – but I'm, I'm sure we'll all find something to do. we got we got to be here a week, so – nobody's gonna stay in the hotel room the whole time. So we'll find something to do. Um, I am told that there is a whale watching tour Ooh. going on Tuesday. So maybe everybody will jump in on that. Because even though I've seen some whales off in the distance, I hadn't seen. I don't know if I want to see a whale up close. You should. You should go it.
0: do that. You should
2: go do that. No, I don't know if I want to because you know a, a whale up close wouldn't that be something that might be able to flip a boat or something? I don't know. um, don't think about all that just do
0: it just do it jd and i don't
2: yeah and i don't swim so i don't want to you know (laughs) you know have my demise out here trying to look at whales that is like the worst (laughs) situation
0: you could ever be in you can't swim you're going to see whales i
2: mean that's terrible exactly i mean yeah so there's a lot going on there that i might not want to be a part of but we'll we'll see i'm sure there's a lot of you know good things going on we'll We'll find something out here.
0: All right, J.D., well, thanks for uh, joining me on today's show, and good luck. Don't don't get too close to the whales. No, I, I will
2: not be close enough to do anything to a whale. All
0: right, I'll see you later. Hopefully we'll see photo evidence if J.D. decides to go on that trip to see the whales. On today's show, we're going to be introducing a new segment called Saint Sit-Downs, where we'll be going into the locker room and interviewing players one-on-one uh, and talking about a plethora of different things just kind of random subjects things that they posted about on social media things that they're involved in uh, and just a bunch of random questions um, and it should be good hopefully it gives you guys a little bit of insight into their lives because of course a lot of times we see them as just football players and not as just regular people just like the rest of us so on today's show we'll be airing the interviews that we had last week with AJ Klein and Demario Davis in the locker room we are interrupted briefly in the Demario Davis this interview by Alex Anzalone, who came out to find me sitting in his locker and he had to go. So uh, a brief interruption, but it doesn't really interfere with the interview. In fact, it provides a little bit of insight as to how DeMario Davis feels with Alex Anzalone as his locker mate. Uh, we also talked to AJ Klein, who adopted a baby son over the summer and then had a daughter uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, So we talked to him about his adoption process and much, much more. So you don't want to miss it. That's next on Saints Sit-Downs. AJ, you've gone through a lot of changes since last season to this season, especially in your family life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you went from having no kids to now having two kids. What is the difference? I mean, what's the difference been so far in practice and having to come here every day? What's the biggest adjustment for you?
3: Well, I think the biggest adjustment, one, is – is the responsibility that comes with being a father. Um, the off season, we had plenty of time to, to spend my first six months with our son and, uh, before little girl arrived. So going from one to two and both being under seven months old is definitely quite the adjustment, but my wife has help at home, but just trying to balance family life and trying to balance football, um, is definitely a challenge that, I mean, you can't prepare for it. I mean, once either it happens or it, or it doesn't happen. And, uh, But luckily, my wife's been a trooper, and she's been a a rock star taking care of the kids when I'm here at work. And um, when I leave the facility here, I go right back, and it's time to dad. And it's dadding until I put the kids down, and I can get back to work a little bit on some film. But um, definitely... Structuring my time wisely is, has been a huge key.
0: I saw your face just like light up as soon as yeah. you started talking about them. Um, you know, did you know that you you guys were going to have a baby of your own before adopting? Or how, tell me about that process. And if it's too personal, just nope. let me know.
3: So actually, last year, um, it would have been the week of Thanksgiving. Me and my wife found out we were pregnant. We are already going through the adoption process before we found out we were pregnant. So um, I don't know if you understand how the adoption process works, but usually it takes about anywhere from six six months being like the earliest to over a year and a half, two years to get selected to be, uh, um, to be up for adoption or get placed with a, a prospective or an expecting mother. Um, so we were expecting to get pregnant and have um, our baby girl and then probably adopt within the next year, year and a half after we got placed. So like I said, we found out we were pregnant um, the week of Thanksgiving. That next week which was only like three weeks after we finished our home study, we got a call from our social worker saying that there was a uh, expecting mother that was moving to New Orleans, um, working with Day Adoption Agency out of uh, Lake Charles, and they asked if we were interested, and we were kind of just like shell-shocked. We didn't think it was going to happen literally within three weeks' time, and our our home study took two and a half, three months. So um, we were – it happened very quickly compared to most. So – We said, yes, let's get more information. We got more information, um, ended up meeting with the uh, expecting mother um, like a week later. And I think a week after that, she decided to choose us to adopt her her son um, and now our son. Um, So, yeah, it happened very quickly, and we didn't expect it to be back-to-back, but it's a blessing that it happened.
0: And you said you met the expecting mother. I mean, when she met you, did she did she care about the saints? Did she kind of was she kind of starstruck? Was there any reaction from no, her? To,
3: to be honest, we kept everything really private. We don't we didn't uh, share a ton of information about my profession or what we did. Just kind of try to stay true to who we are as people and um, our beliefs and and how we intend to raise our kids. And I thought that was the most important thing to focus because football doesn't last forever. And football doesn't define me as a person, doesn't define me as a man or as a father now. So, um, but she had no idea for probably a few weeks. Um, and then as the process went on, we sat and we met my, my wife and I went with, uh, her to her doctor's appointment. So we were able to see the, the ultrasounds and, and the progression over the next three months until he was born. Um, so, through those interactions, we end up talking about it, and she found out that I played football, and she was she was awesome with it. She really just thought it was cool and and really that 's where it, it it left off. There was no um, complications with anything, and she was just she was great she was really great.
0: You said that you guys um didn't expect things to happen so mm-hmm. fast, but obviously you wanted to become a father because yes. you entered the adoption process Does it? get a little bit harder coming to practice and and being away from them every day
3: it does it does a little bit um especially leaving the house before they're awake but um every night when i come home it's i mean it's it's a hard it's a hard feeling to describe because i think anybody else in this in this locker room that's a father and craig and demario and all those guys can attest to it no matter how bad your day is or how good your day is at work when you come home you look forward to seeing your your wife and your kids and um, especially Cannon, being seven months now, he's so his his personality is shining through, and um, he's he's starting to babble some words, and his he's always got a smile on his face, so it's definitely a a sweet thing to come home every day.
0: Outside of football, who do you hope your kids see you as?
3: Oh my goodness!
0: <laughs> I know it's a loaded question because I don't even know the answer to myself. Yeah, but
3: that's it. Um, I would like to hope that my children see me as. Um, a passionate, dedicated individual who not only loves Jesus and, and God, a man that's led by faith, but also um, I want my kids to know my love for my wife and how devoted I am. Um, and I think at the end of the day, as long as I can, I, I try to model myself after my father. Um, so if I can be half the man he was, I know that I'll be good. So.
0: That's awesome. Well, thanks, AJ. I appreciate yeah, it. No problem. All right, Demar, You've lived in New Orleans for two years now. Favorite restaurant? Uh,
4: probably probably Smitty's. I like the crawfish at Smitty's.
0: What kind of restaurant? is it? The seafood. And That's all you like is the crawfish?
4: I mean, I tried some of the other stuff, like you know the shrimp po' boys and stuff like that. But definitely the crawfish is is the best thing at
0: Smitty's. But if you have like a best friend from college coming in town, your parents, are you gonna take them to Smitty's or are you gonna take them somewhere else?
4: It depends on what they got what they got a taste for. It. Like. Uh, my wife cooks in a lot, so we eat we eat in a lot. And so um the first option probably would be eat at home. Um but if the, it depends on depends on what they want, but that's one of my favorite restaurants or um Copelands. I like Copelands. I mean I, I'm in Kenner so I just I mean I stay local.
0: I used to live in Kenner, it stinks out there.
4: Yeah, it ain't too bad. Ain't too
0: bad. <laughs> What's your favorite thing that your wife cooks at home?
4: Uh probably spaghetti or catfish. Uh, she makes she makes some mean fried catfish. Um, but spaghetti. Uh, Sorry. yeah. Dang bro, we in the interview. <laughs> it's That's so thing. disrespectful. It's totally dog. fine though. No, it's totally oh, fine. Oh Michael. man, that was disrespectful, man. He could've waited.
0: It's, it's totally
4: fine. fine. That's messed up, bro. Like that. <laughs> we all have jobs uh, to do, you know.
0: Uh
4: yeah. But I mean her spaghetti, uh is off the chain she makes uh really good tacos i mean everything green beans cabbage any casserole dish she makes my wife can just cook so all
0: of- what's the most annoying thing about sharing a locker next to alex anzalone
4: <laughs> his hygiene he has horrible hygiene like i mean i'm glad he's taking a bath today this is probably like his first bath of the week Nah, he's a good locker mate he ain't bad <laughs> He, he he knows how to respect space and boundaries. He don't really get on my side, except for his shoes right now.
0: <laughs> so I, that's that's side the side
4: biggest side. thing about locker space is, like, don't put your stuff in my space. Like, you have a lane that, that extends all the way to the other side of the locker room. Stay in your lane, right? Stay in your lane. Yeah. That's
0: all. That's it. Um, if you had to live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? Oh, man. The yeah, ship.
4: sip, dog. <laughs> sip, dog. But <laughs> I would live, I mean, I like places like London. I like uh, Super Chill over there. I like uh Calgary in Canada. I like Montreal in Canada. Canada just probably anywhere. Like I just like peaceful places like where the people are cool, chill. Everybody ain't kind of walking around with their nose in the air. Everybody just kind of minding their business and and like, you know, speak to you when they see you. Like, wish you a happy day. Um like customer service is pretty much good everywhere you go. And, you know, low crime.
0: Sounds like you're living in the Truman show a little bit.
4: Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you go to Canada, you just feel it in the air. And London too. I think over there, like the police officers don't even have guns. You know, it's just like, dang, that's. I can tell you what kind of society it is. I also want to go to Australia. I Haven't been to Australia, but I heard it's it's peaceful over there too.
0: Would Australia be like the number one place that you haven't been to yet that you'd like to visit?
4: Um, Australia, Africa, and Israel. Those are like three places, probably in that order. Australia first, Africa. Like one B and then Israel is like two.
0: I know you're very big into your faith. Is there anything specific in Israel that you'd wanna visit first or
4: uh probably the River of Jordan. Like I know they do baptisms out there, so it'd be tight to get baptized in the same water that, that Jesus was baptized in. So like I I think like I would just go get baptized again just to do that. But I don't know. It's probably. I heard there's a lot of rich history and a lot of different things over there that, that are nice. And so it's probably stuff that I don't even know about that I would like.
0: Change your pace a little bit. I know you have kids, and I'm sure they watch a lot of children's movies, right? Uh, What is your favorite children's movie to watch with your kids right now?
4: I like all of them. I'm, I'm a big animated movie guy, and so I just took my son to see uh, Angry Birds last night, and so it was, it was really funny. I, I had some funny scenes, and then my kids they love to dance, so. Every time the songs come on, they start dancing. And I start cracking up at them. So
0: I think right now my favorite Disney movie is uh, Coco. Did you, did you see Coco? No, I
4: did not see Coco. I did not see Coco. That's that's a little dark. No. Coco is a little dark. Ain't that by when they go to the underworld?
0: Yeah, it's like Day of the Dead.
4: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like dark.
0: But it's a lot of rich history. You just said you you appreciate it the history. Is,
4: it is. It is a lot of rich history. I imagine. But that's uh, that's that's a culture that I'm not well versed in. So I really wouldn't understand it. So it may take a little time.
0: Do you have any hobbies outside of football? I mean, I know you, football's all that you're doing right now, but, like, say in the off season, I know you're big into the community, but, like, any hobbies that you like to do kind of on your own?
4: Yeah, I like, I like playing Madden. I'm a big movie guy, so I love watching movies and TVs and TV series. I like to golf. I like playing the piano. Like, those are my hobbies. I mean, that's about all the hobbies I got time for.
0: What's your average golf score?
4: Oh, I'm plus 100. I'm trash. <laughs> but I like to play. I like to play. And I like the water, too, so I like being on the water. So anything on the water, I'm good.
0: All right, well, I appreciate your time tomorrow. I
4: appreciate you.
0: Thanks to Omar for joining us on today's show, along with AJ Klein and Demario Davis for their time and John DeShazer. A quick word from SeatGeek. If you're trying to find tickets to football games or any other live event, it can be complicated. There are hundreds of sites and shady pricing, but with SeatGeek, you can do everything in one place. Search for and discover the best deals on seats, buy from any device, and sell and transfer tickets in just a couple taps. With their Deal Score technology, they rank the most valuable seats based on price, location, historical data, and more. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners will get $20 off their first purchase when they use the SeatGeek app. Use code GOSAINTS at checkout. That's code GOSAINTS, no spaces, at checkout. SeatGeek, let's go. Again, thanks to everyone for tuning in to the show today. We'll be back on Wednesday with more interviews. For Caroline Gonzalez, that'll do it for the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Thanks for listening.